Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Inshallah, we will begin our first program of the day uh, with Mulana Shammas. Uh, Mulana Shammas Niazi was born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri. He attended Islamic school until eighth grade. He then went to Parkway West High School, from which he graduated in 2009. He had plans of going to college, but all that changed. Inshallah, I'm going to cut his introduction short, inshallah. Um, so in, the, in, in September of 2010, uh, he traveled to Pakistan to study at Jamiat al-Hussanin in Faisalabad. The Jamia was started by renowned scholar and orator, Sheikh Tariq Jamil. Uh, there he studied for six years under senior teachers such as Sheikh Ramzi al-Habib, Sheikh Ubaidullah, Mufti Ahmad Ali, and Mulana Tariq Jamil himself. In between breaks, he would come and attend the summer courses to complete some of his undergraduate studies. Uh, so inshallah, his topic will be resilience in the face of oppression. It is often said that the night is darkest just before dawn. When witnessing oppression, we feel an overwhelming sense of helplessness and forget the promises of the Almighty subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Qur'an declares, do not assume that Allah is unaware of what the oppressors do. This talk discusses how we can navigate the turbulence of the human experience upon witnessing heartbreaking persecution and how we can, how we can renew our conviction in the divine wisdom, inshaAllah ta'ala. Bismillah walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salam ala rasulillah amma ba'd Qalallahu subhanahu wa ta'ala fi kalamihi al-majid ba'da na'udhu billahi min ash-shaytan al-rajim bismillah ar-rahman ar-rahim أم حسبتم أن تدخلوا الجنة ولما يأتكم مثل الذين خلوا من قبلكم مستهم البأساء والضراء وزلزلوا حتى يقول الرسول والذين آمنوا معه متى نصر الله ألا إن نصر الله قريب. Respected listeners, first and foremost, السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته. And good morning. I know it's uh, for for some of us it's bright and early. Some of us may still be uh, waking up slowly. Uh, we had a long night, mashallah, of basketball and dodgeball and whatnot. Um, so hopefully, uh, in this talk, we'll be able to uh, awaken ourselves with uh, the stories uh, of perseverance, inshallah. And secondly, all the brothers that are kind of standing outside and. Uh, inshallah, I encourage them that have been registered to come inside, inshallah, and participate in the talk, inshallah. The ayah that I recited at the very beginning, it's in Surah Al-Baqarah. And in this ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He poses a question. أَمْ حَسِبْتُمْ أَنْ تَدْخُلُ الْجَنَّةِ That do we think we will enter Jannah? أَنْ تَدْخُلُ الْجَنَّةَ وَلَمَّا يَأْتِكُمْ مَثَلُ الَّذِينَ خَلَوْ مِنْ قَبْلِكُمْ That we'll enter Jannah and we won't be tested with what the nations prior have been tested with. The adversities that they faced, we won't face similar adversities. And Without facing those adversities, we'll just waltz our way into Jannah. They were <clears throat> tested with difficult times. And here the word that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses the word zilzad, right? Which is an earthquake. And when an earth, 
earthquake strikes, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect all of us. But I remember when I was studying in Faisalabad in Pakistan, the, that was the first time in my life that I had experienced an earthquake. And everything was just moving. And you see objects just start shaking in the glass of the masjid. It was as if it was about to shatter. And at that moment, we just, we really didn't know what to do. Do we get out of the room? Do we go to the center of the, uh, you know, of the, of the madrasa? What do we do? And at that moment, a person, you, you lose your footing. You're unsure what's going to happen next. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that these nations in the past, they were tested to a point that they were shook to their core. Right? So much so that the messenger that was sent to them, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts off with the person who's supposed to be the example that we look towards when you are finding yourself in a stressful moment or you find that the world around you is too much to handle. There's somebody, usually some spiritual leader that you look towards, your shaykh or whoever it may be. You look to that individual seeking guidance and you want words of comfort. That if I hear something from this individual, maybe what he'll say will comfort me. Your ustad or whoever that may be, you go to them and, Imam, you know, I'm going through a very difficult time. Ustad, I'm going through a difficult time. What can you tell me? And what does he say? He usually says, be patient. Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is with those that are patient. But here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, we tested them to such a degree, the nations in the past, to such a degree, that the messenger himself, and the believers along with him, collectively they were all saying, When is the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala going to come? The Prophet himself is saying that. Now imagine, you go to, a, to the spiritual leader, to the Imam, whoever it may be, and you say, Imam, I'm going through a difficult time. And he just sits back and he says, yeah, welcome to the club. I'm going through a difficult time as well. And he can't give you any words of comfort. So here the Prophet himself is saying, Mata Nasrullah, Ya Allah, when is your help coming? It's gotten to a point where the Nabi himself doesn't know when the assistance of Allah will arrive. But then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He lets them know, even at that moment when you feel like the earth beneath you is shaking and there's no solid footing for you to stand on, even at that moment, Allah, what does He say? Allah. Indeed, listen, Allah, tambih. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is letting us know that when our iman when it's shaken to its core, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He calls us out from that ghafla that we are in, from that stress that we're in. Allah, come out from that stress. Inna nasrallahi qareeb. Indeed, the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is close. It is close. Closer than you would expect. Closer than you think. That is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us. And the world that we live in, with everything that is going on, we find ourselves asking the very same question. Mata Nasrullah. Ya Allah, when is the help going to come? Even the Imams, our spiritual leaders, are asking the same question. Ya Allah, when is your help going to come? We see what is happening with our Muslim brothers and sisters in Palestine. We see what is happening with the Uyghur Muslims, unfortunately, what is happening to them in China, something that the media is covering up and won't bring to light. The problems that they go through. One person, somebody that he knows that lives there, he told him that in China, they take them and they put them in these workshops and they tell them that they have to work there. And they cannot show even a bit that they are Muslim. 
No salah, nothing. No sign. And they go to these, these camps, right? In which they are, they are trained, they are brainwashed. And they are taught the quote-unquote Chinese tradition. And then they know where the families of these individuals reside. And they say, if we see even from you the slightest bit of Islam, you praying or doing anything that resembles the practice of Islam, we know where your families are and harm will come towards your family. This is the world that we live in. This is the world that we live in. Well, what can we do in such times? What, what examples do we have? What stories do we have? We look to, we look to the Qur'an. We look to the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ in these times where we can hear stories that boost our iman. And as the talk is, is titled, that we are able to be resilient in the face of oppression. And you look at the entire life, lifetime of the Prophet ﷺ and that's what you'll see. The entire seerah is filled with that. But one particular story that I wanted to cover today, and all of us, we know it. Every single one of us here, we know it. It's, it's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself in the Quran, he says, what about it? The best of stories. The story of Yusuf. How many people here are named Yusuf? Just, I want to see a raise of hands. All Yusufs, please raise your hand. That's it, just two? We got more, I think they're just shy. Don't worry, I'm not going to call you guys up here or anything like that. Such a common name and such a common story, we all know it. We all know the story of Yusuf salam. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He calls it Ahsanul Qasas. And the word Qissa in the Arabic language comes from Qassa Yaqussu. This comes in another place in the Quran, right? in Surah Al-Kahf. What does Musa salam say to Yusha? What does he say? The word Qissa is used. Right? Anybody know? Right where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he starts talking about the journey and how Musa salam, he sets out to find Al-Khadr. Where they were, where they lose the fish. Right? Anybody know? That is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions there. That they went back. When Musa alayhi salam, he realized in Yusha, he told him that, you know, the fish, that sign that you were looking for, it happened a while before. But, shaitan, he made me forget. I forgot to remind you. So they followed their traces. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, they went back on their traces, qasasa, following their traces. So a qissa is following that story, right? You follow the traces and what you follow it closely. So this qissa of Yusuf alayhi salam, if we are to follow it closely, there are many lessons that we can learn from the story of Yusuf alayhi salam. Many lessons. But the most common theme that we see throughout the entire story of Yusuf alayhi salam is what? Is how Yusuf alayhi salam would persevere time and time again, time and time again in the face of oppression. When he told his father Yaqub alayhi salam about, about the dream that he had and his brothers they heard about, what did they do? They threw him in the well, right? Even then, Yusuf alayhi salam, he didn't lose hope. He was taken out of the well, taken to Misr, right? And there he grew up, albeit as a slave. But Yusuf alayhi salam, that is where he grew up. And then you had the entire story about how Yusuf alayhi salam was accused of an act which he did not commit with, the, with his master's wife. And even then, Yusuf alayhi salam, he persevered again. In the face of a they were wrongly accusing him. And Yusuf alayhi salam, the child spoke up 
and spoke to the innocence of Yusuf alayhi salam, which was a miracle in and of itself. How uh, the child spoke up and said that, and, and spoke about the entire Qamis ordeal, that if the Qamis is torn from the front, then it is the act of Yusuf. However, if the Qamis is torn from the back, then it is the act of the wife. And lo and behold, the Qamis was torn from the back, so there Yusuf alayhi salam, he was exonerated. And then you go on further, then he was thrown into prison because of the fitna. And he's there in prison for some time. And as he's spending time in prison, what happens? He befriends some of the prisoners there. And Yusuf alayhi salam, his knowledge is known. And people, they, the, 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 the inhabitants of the prison, they come and they ask Yusuf alayhi salam about their dreams, interpretation of their dreams. And Yusuf alayhi salam, his knowledge becomes famous. And then the king himself, he sees a vision. He has a dream, which he doesn't understand. It's a very strange dream. The seven cows and the entire dream that is mentioned there, we won't get in too much into the details. But Yusuf alayhi salam, he had the knowledge to interpret it. And he does so. He does that. And then the king, he takes him out and makes him his wazir. After that, then what happens? <clears throat> Yusuf alayhi salam is put in a position of authority. He's put in a position where he could take his revenge. His brothers, they come to him years later. And they don't recognize Yusuf alayhi salam. He was just a boy when he was thrown into the well. And they come to him all the way from Palestine. They come to him in Egypt and they ask Yusuf alayhi salam because there was a famine at the time. And that was what Yusuf alayhi salam had predicted based off the dream that the king had seen. And they're coming and they're asking for, for food, for some rations. And Yusuf alayhi salam, he keeps his brother with him. Long story short, they realize that this is Yusuf. At that moment, understand, before we get into that, take a step back and understand everything that had happened to Yusuf up until that point. He was thrown into the well, not by, not by anybody random, by his own brothers, by his family. How many of us have been wronged by our family? Or how many of us have wronged our own family? Yusuf salam is thrown into the well by his own family. Those same individuals are standing in front of him in a time of need. Now if it was you or me, in that moment, we would use that power. And we'd use that to our advantage. Oh, you remember what you did to me? You remember when you threw me into the, you, you threw me to the wayside and now you're here standing in front of me asking for help? But Yusuf salam didn't know such thing. That happened. Then after that he was sold as a slave. And he lives his, a portion of his life as a slave. And then he goes into prison. And he lives his life in jail. Then after that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after a period of time when, that, when, when all seems to be lost, when that you ask, Mata Nasrullah, when is the help of Allah coming? At that moment, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, His help comes, it arrives. And Yusuf salam is put in a position of authority. And then it dawns on them when they're standing there in front of Yusuf. And He reminds them, what does He, at this point, they're still unaware. And in the tafsir, they write, in the tafsir, they write that at this entire time, Yusuf salam, whenever he dealt with them, he would cover his face. He would cover his face like this, with not, not because of COVID, right? He didn't wear a mask, not because of COVID, but he would cover his face. He would cover his face like this. Anytime that they would come to his court and ask him for assistance. And so, Yusuf salam, when they went back to Yaqub and they asked for Binyamin, and he said, we need him to come with us. Because the wazir, the appointed wazir is asking, he says, bring another brother and I'll give you even more ration. This much per person. You have a brother, do you not? And that was Yusuf alayhi blood brother, full brother. 
His other brothers were his half-brothers. And so they go back to their father and they ask him, can, we, can Binyamin come with us? And, he said, and, and, and Yaqub salam is afraid. He says, if I send Binyamin with you, you will do the same to him as you did to Yusuf. I'm afraid that I will lose this son of mine as well. And he said, no, oh, our father, we will take care of him. We promise you. But Yusuf salam, he had a different plan. And so they bring Binyamin to him. And they said, here is our brother. Please give us the ration according to how many we are. And as they are giving the ration, Yusuf salam, he slips a cup into the sack of Binyamin. Into the sack of Binyamin. And as they are leaving, what happens? As they are leaving, the caller, he calls out. And he said, the king's cup is missing. And whoever brings us the king's cup will give him another camel's load worth of ration. And now they, and they said that this caravan here, you guys, it's in, your, it's in one of your guys' bags. And they say, we didn't come here to steal or anything like that. It's not with us. And he said, okay, what will you... Now, in the law of the king in, in, in Egypt at the time, a person could not be held prisoner for a crime that they committed. But however, in the rule of Yaqub and where they were from, where the brothers were from, their rule was that the person who committed the crime, he is kept. He is kept in, in, in jail and he is kept there for the crime that he, he is. So a person who commits the crime, that individual himself, will be given to the person who he committed the crime against. And Yusuf salam, he knew this. So he says, okay, what will happen if we find the cup in your guys' midst? What will you guys do? He said, as for us, this is our rule. That the person, the person, The recompense for the person who committed this crime, he himself is the recompense. If you find the cup with one of us, you keep him. He stays with you. He stays here in Egypt. Yusuf knew that this was the law of Yaqub. And so they start searching. And they didn't start with Binyamin, they started with the eldest. And they slowly worked their way down to the bag of Binyamin. Then what happens? And then he takes it out from, he starts one by one, one by one. And now the anticipation is building, 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 building. Like, okay, you know, what's going to happen? And then finally they pull the cup out of the bag of Binyamin. See, it's right here. And now all the brothers are taken aback. How did this happen? How did this happen? Allah says that this is the plan that we made for Yusuf salam. This is the plan that we made for Yusuf Allah. The land that Yusuf was living in, he would not have been able to hold his brother as a prisoner if it was by his law. But rather Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made the brothers present their law so that Binyamin could stay with Yusuf Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, we give the darajah, we put on a pedestal whom we wish. Whoever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants, He elevates. And whoever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to bring down, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He brings them down. In this ayah here, so many lessons in this surah. So many lessons. And above every knowledgeable person, there is someone who is even more knowledgeable. Someone who is even more knowledgeable. And above them all is who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Al-Alim himself. The most knowledgeable. And at times we learn a little bit. You know, students know this more than anything. We learn a little bit of, of Arabic or we learn a little bit of tafsir or something like that. And we think that we've become, you know, the next manfaluti or we've become, you know, the next, we're going to become alama qurtubi or something like that. We're going to write the next tafsir ibn kathir. MashaAllah, you know, if we can do that, then khair. But a little bit of knowledge gives us a lot of arrogance. And I remember... 
And they should have put this in the introduction instead of, instead of everything that, that he mentioned there and studying in Faslabad and all of that stuff. Mufti Minhaj, he was the Imam in St. Louis and I'm his student, right? And Mufti Sabi always hates when I mention this. But it's true. When he was there in St. Louis from... When did he... When was he there? 2006 till like 2010, right? 2011? 2012. So I, I traveled in 2010. And it was at that time where things were really going south for me personally. Right? And I'm not trying to plug any, or this isn't an advertisement, but you know, I have my, there's this podcast that I did with Mashtar Uthman, so you guys can listen to my entire story there. I don't want to get into it because it's very long and detailed. You guys can listen to the details there. But things were really going south for me. And it's at that time that I had an individual like, like Mufti Saab who kind of pulled me out of that and was a driving force in our community and is the reason why I'm sitting here today. Right? I had that individual in my life. So I remember Mufti Minhaji told us one time that when it was their time for graduation and they were finishing up their alam course, I think Mufti Saab finished up his ifta. Somebody was speaking to them and told them that now you know, okay, now you know how much you don't know. On the day of their graduation, after eight years of studying, and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless the students of knowledge and you know the the the, the founders of this this seminary and, and those that make it work all behind the scenes, and it's not easy. You know, we're going to have the Bukhari Khatam tomorrow, inshallah, an auspicious occasion. For us to be a part of that, it's amazing. It's a tradition of our Akabir. And to see that come to fruition is a beautiful thing. But on that day, after six years of grueling hard work, studying day in and day out, staying awake till two, till three, studying, and then waking up at Fajr time, and Mufti Abar Mirza, my ustad, he said he would sleep just for four hours. For four hours he would sleep. And at times he would find himself when he's, I'm talking about people that are living, he just, he just did the, the, the finance workshop yesterday, right? Friday. This is a person who's in our mess. I'm not talking about Imam Bukhari, rahimullah. I'm not talking about Imam Abu Hanifa. I'm not talking about Sufyan al-Thawri, rahimullah. I'm not talking about the, the predecessors. It's hard to compare ourselves to them. But let's talk about people that are living in our era. He would do mutala, study, and stay awake in the library. And he would be reading just standing up. Standing up. Why? Because if he would sit down, he knew that he would go to sleep. You hear that about Zainab radiallahu anha in a sahih hadith. In which she was praying and the Prophet ﷺ, he found a rope hanging. And the Prophet ﷺ, what is this for? And they said, this is for Zainab. You know, when she gets tired and she's about to fall, because she's standing and praying, she holds on to it so she can stay standing up. The Prophet ﷺ rips it down. We hear that about the companions. And here we have a living example in our midst. He's standing up and he'll put his, and he's reading and he's reading and he puts his head on his hand and he falls asleep. Four hours of sleep. Four hours of sleep. And he's doing ifta, writing almost 200 fatawa. He did two years worth of work in one year. Two years worth of work in one year. And he didn't just, you know. You guys know the, uh, the, the colloquial saying, like doing a half something job, right? He didn't do that, right? He did it 100%. It's not like he was a, a yes mufti. Just everything, you know, you get the fatwa, yes, you know, naam, la, naam, la. Only give me the, the fatwa that just require me to say yes or no, yes or no. I just want to complete my coursework. He did it properly. Two years worth of work in one year. Mufti Minhaj, same thing. These, we have, these are examples, Mufti Azimuddin, all of these guys that we have here. Examples that are here in front of us. What am I getting at? All of that work. All of that. And then to be told on the day of your graduation, now you know how much you don't know. We will come to the three-day seminar and we'll become, you know, muftis when we leave. 
You know, I went to the three-day DS seminar, and mashallah, I think I can take up an imamah position. I know what I'm doing. You know, I did a khatib workshop. That's it. I'm the khatib now. Imam sahab, step aside. That's after three days, right? Imagine, <laughs> imagine three decades. And then still to have that. And, and it's not just lip service. Truly, that is what we feel and what we know. When you sit with them, you know how little you know. Just yesterday, I was sitting with some scholars and they're quoting books left and right. And you really truly understand how little it is we know. And then to hear this ayah, that's what I'm getting at. And above every knowledgeable individual, there is somebody who is more knowledgeable. There is somebody who is more knowledgeable than that. So no matter how knowledgeable we may think we are, there is somebody who has more knowledge than us. And above that person, somebody else. And then ultimately, it's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So here, while this plan may have seemed impossible, who's the ultimate planner? It's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it possible for Yusuf alayhi salam to keep and hold Binyamin hostage. So now that happens. And then what do the brothers say? It's Binyamin, he stole his other brother Yusuf, he used to steal as well. Who are they saying this to? They're saying this to the same Yusuf. And he's standing there in front of them. And now at this point, you and I, we would have ripped off of that. Say that to my face. Say that one more time. It's me, Yusuf. That's what we would have done. But Yusuf, he perseveres in the face of oppression. He stands tall and he holds his ground. And he says, I have a greater purpose. I want them to understand the wrong that they're doing. And he keeps his face covered. And like, you know how we say in Urdu, Pijata, right? That, that, that sorrow and that grief, you just, you swallow that bitter pill. And that's literally what Yusuf السلام, is doing. And then what happens? Then they start talking to Yusuf and they say that, you know, our father is elderly and if he finds out that this happened, then he won't believe us, etc., etc. And then the older brother, he makes a decision. He says, I'm not going to leave from here until the wazir, he lets, lets him go or until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decides my death. I will not leave from here. I'm not going to disappoint our father any further. Yaqub had lost his sight. He became blind out of grief because of the continuous crying. The continuous crying over losing his son. Yusuf was the most beloved to him because he saw the future of Yusuf shining and glimmering in front of him. And to lose that was such a pain for Yaqub and then they go back and they tell their father, they tell their father this story that you won't believe us before they were lying when they talked about Yusuf and they said that a wolf came and he ate Yusuf and at that time they were lying and they said you won't believe us. But now truly they were telling their father with all their hearts and with pain, you won't believe us but it's true. This time it's actually true. But he knew that they were lying back then so he wouldn't believe them right now either. Yaqub said, no, 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 you guys are lying again. You guys are making this up. Just like you did before with Yusuf. You're taking my children away from me. Jamil. But what will I do? I will be patient. And not just a... It will be a beautiful form of patience. Sabrun Jamil. Not just sabr. Sabrun Jamil. Beautiful page that when you see it, you don't even see anything that well, sabr is not jameel, guys. Those are two words that aren't supposed to be. It's kind of like an oxymoron. Two words that really don't go together because sabr, even in the Arabic language, right? What is what does it come from? Sabira, right? It's something that's very bitter because sabr itself is bitter. It's bitter. You have a bitter feeling when you're, you know. When you want to go out and you want to play basketball and your dad says no, and then that bitter feeling, mm, all right, fine, I can't go. That bitterness that you feel, sabr, right? It's a smaller portion of it, right? Smaller dose. Nonetheless, bitter. 
And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is using the words of Yaqub and he's saying, فَصَبْرٌ جَمِيلٌ Bittersweet. Something that is bittersweet. The person who's tasting it, it's bitter initially, but then in the end it becomes sweet. That is what Yaqub is saying. That it will be bitter for me, but for the outsider, they'll see as if nothing is going on. That's how this sabr is jameen. No one will even know that you're going through something. And wallahi, we have stories of that as well. Brothers that are, and sisters that are going through difficult times. And when you hear about the things that are happening, you say, subhanAllah, I just saw this brother yesterday. He seemed perfectly fine. How is he coping with this? How is he coping with this? I, uh, I saw it firsthand myself, you know? I didn't think I would bring this uh, story up, but, you know, if I have your ijazah, can I share a little bit? Many of you guys may have heard a few years back we had a student at the seminary in Madrasatul Hassani, Uthman, rahimahullah. You know, we were traveling together from New York back to Indianapolis. And, uh, you know, we pulled over onto the shoulder. He was driving, he thought something was wrong with the car. And he gets out of the car, we're on the shoulder. And uh, a truck comes into the shoulder, hits him, and he passes away immediately. And I see all of this unfold in front of me. It's myself and two other people. Uthman was one of them, rahimahullah. And I'm sitting in the back. I'm sitting in the back left. And the truck came from the left side. And I'm getting out of the car to see what was wrong with the car. I'm moving to my right. And that's when the truck, it, it comes and it hits the left side of the car. I was that close. And Uthman, rahimullah, is standing right outside the car. And it hits him. And he passes away. And the reason why I mention this is because you see certain individuals that have that sabr. And when we're washing his body, his father is right here. He's with us. He came here. He's, we're in jama'ah together. And he's washing his son's body and you see the patience from him. He just lost his son, only 19 years old. He was in his third year of alim course. And you see that patience. And then you understand what sabr jameel means. To not even complain to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that, Ya Allah, you took my son away at such a young age. He didn't say that, he says, my son was accepted. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepted him as a she real life story. Sitting right here in our midst. This is sabrun jameel. We don't have to look far, far back. We have these stories here. Yaqub he loses his second son. And what does he say? My pain for Yusuf is so great. And his eyes... They became white. He lost his vision because of how much he cried. Of how much he cried and how, how much sorrow he had. And then what happens? Then they go back to Yusuf alayhi salam. And then they tell him, Ya ayyuhal aziz, massana wa ahlana dhur, wa jitna bi bidha'atim musjatin fa'awfilana al-kayla wa tasaddaq alayna. We are, our family has been afflicted with pain. We're in a very difficult time. Please be generous to us. Allah does good to those that give charity. Give us charity. And at this point, Yusuf salam, then he takes off you know, the mask that he had on. My Ustad Muhammad Tarik when he when he explains this, he says, 
that it was, he, had, he had his face covered like this. And as he's saying this, he says, And then they see that this is Yusuf the entire time we've been dealing with Yusuf. But what does he say? He gives them the benefit of the doubt. He says, when you guys were ignorant, when you guys didn't know any better, remember what you did to Yusuf? You threw him in the well? All those things that you did? When you guys didn't know any better. He didn't say when you guys were إِذْ أَنْتُمْ ظَالِمُونَ When you guys were the wrongdoers or the oppressors. Even though they did. Injustice to Yusuf السلام, He didn't say that to them. He said when you guys didn't know any better. Now imagine somebody does that and you say, It's okay brother, you didn't know any better. You threw me into a well. You didn't know any better. And then I was sold as a slave. You didn't know any better. Imagine. Somebody takes our parking spot at the masjid. We'll call them the biggest jahil. Like, you don't know? This is my parking spot. I park here every single day. Mufti Saab knows. Throwing somebody into a well is... And so, they said, قَالُوا أَإِنَّكَ لَأَنْتَ Yusuf." Now, the, the people who understand the Arabic language... They understand the balagha, they understand the beauty of this. Qalu, a'innaka. They see in front of their eyes that this is Yusuf, but yet they're so shocked and surprised. They ask, wait, is it really you? A'innaka, la'anta, you, are you really Yusuf? Is that you? Qala ana Yusuf. akhi. I am Yusuf and this is my brother Binyamin. Allah did good to us. Qad manna Allahu alayna. And then these two things, guys. This is what we need in the face of oppression. These two things. So what do we need? Whoever has the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is aware that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is watching. When we have that awareness, then we'll know not to wrong others. We'll know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will ask us on the day of judgment, what did you do? To the, with the people around you, the position that you were put in, your family, what did you do with them? Did you serve them? Did you do wrong to them? How did you treat your family? If we have taqwa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we'll be able to treat them adequately. We'll be able to treat them the way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to. And then the second thing, you need a little dose of sabr as well. Without patience, it's difficult to persevere. If we don't have patience, we're not going to make it. If we don't stand tall in the face of adversity, we're not going to make it. Then indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He does not let go to waste the reward of the good doers. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not let it go to waste. قَالُوا تَاللَّهِ لَقَدْ آثَرَكَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْنَا وَإِن كُنَّا لَخَاطِئِينَ قَالَ لَا تَثْرِيبَ عَلَيْكُمُ الْيَوْمِ there is no blame on you today. Ya Allah, look at this. Yusuf after years and years of injustice, he says, There is no blame on you today. Don't worry about it. It's all water under the bridge. It's all gone. Don't look at what happened. Now this same sentence was said by who? The Prophet the Prophet ﷺ, our Nabi ﷺ, after years and years, after years and years of torment at the hands of the Quraysh, his own relatives ﷺ, they kicked him out. When he is leaving the city of Mecca, what is he saying? The Prophet ﷺ, after 13 years of trying, tooth and nail trying to spread the message, it comes to a point where he has been ostracized and he has been kicked out of his community. He's leaving Mecca and he's telling Mecca, he turns back and he takes one longing look at Mecca and he says, If it wasn't for the people, the inhabitants of the city, O oh Mecca, I would never leave you. I would never leave you, O oh Mecca, the house of Allah, I would never leave you. But these people aren't letting me stay. And then he goes to the city of Medina and then eight years later, after battles, with the Quraysh, after standing tall in the face of oppression, 
the Prophet ﷺ and his companions, they come to the city of Mecca. And now the Prophet ﷺ is standing in the haram. And now judgment day has come. All of those people that had wronged the Prophet ﷺ, that kicked them out, that boycotted them, that didn't give him a place to stay, that plotted against him, that planned to kill him والسلام, they're all standing in front of the Prophet وسلم, with their heads down, ready for judgment, ready for the sword to be put to their necks. Because they think that is what the Prophet وسلم, will do. But the Prophet وسلم, what does he say? I will say to you as Yusuf said to his brothers, I have forgiven you today, there is no blame on you. There is no blame on you today. Go, for I have, let you, I have set you free. I have forgiven each and every single one of you. And you have the likes of Umar who's always a fiery personality. And he wants to seek retribution. And yet the Prophet ﷺ, he quells that and he pushes that away. And he forgives them. How many times have we been put in that situation where we've had the opportunity to forgive? It's easier said than done. It's easier said than done. Wallahi, it's easier said than done. Let's look at our families. Anyone who has done wrong to us, we hold grudges against them for years and years over something small and insignificant. This person didn't invite me to my cousin's weddings, reception, you know, Mandi, Barat, whatever. He didn't send me the invitation card. He sent me a WhatsApp text and said, is this how you invite somebody? I'm not going to talk to this person for the next 20 years. Salamun alaykum. And that is the reason for our dispute. And here we have stories where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, We're giving you this story so that you can follow its traces. But we are so far from these stories. We are so far from these traces. We are so far. And when we look at these with this lens, then we truly understand how little it is we know. We know how much we don't know. We know how much we don't know. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He allows us to take heed from these lessons that are in the Quran, these beautiful stories. You know, we had to. Uh, for the sake of brevity, you know, we just, we made it very concise. But two things that we can take home with us. Yusuf السلام, he summed it up for us. His life in two qualities. مَنْ Taqwa and sabr. That's what we need. If we have that, if we have that, then it doesn't matter what comes our way. We will stand tall inshaAllah. But if we are lacking in these two areas, my respected listeners, if we're lacking in these two areas, then it's very hard to stand tall in this day and age that we live in with everything that is going on. With everything that is going on. We know what, you know, unfortunately what month it is, right? Pride month and all the things that our future generations will face. Wallahi, very difficult times are ahead. No, it's no laughing matter. Very, very difficult times are ahead. And if we lack in these two areas, we won't be able to weather the storm. Our ship will be turned upside down. We'll capsize. We will capsize. But if we hold on to one another, we continuously talk about these stories. The story Yusuf السلام, the most common story, anybody here could narrate it. But to hear these things again and again, and for these institutions, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless them. In, in this time, in this day and age that we live in, this is in and of itself resilience. This program is resilience in the face of adversity. The adversity is what? The adversity is the pandemic that we are currently living in. And resilience is what? Being able to establish a program and get it going so smoothly. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless the, the volunteers. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless the workers. We, we need to make continuous dua for these individuals that are making this possible. What do we do? We just, we come here, you know, we have our accommodations, everything is taken care of. But there is work 
being done behind the scenes. We make dua for those hidden heroes, right? They are the true heroes that are making these programs possible, that are giving us this spiritual boost in a time that we need it. I remember Mufti Adib just, just a week before, he says our goal is to have 5,000 people at this program because people, they need it. Not for any other reason, not for to publicize or to, to uh, display what is, what is here, the, 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 the seminar. That is not the goal. The goal is to revive what we lost in this time. How many of us com are, are complaining that the lack of the masjid is eating away at our iman? That the lack of being able to, to hear these talks live in person, Zoom, it was fun for the first two months. Then after that, everybody starts putting their mics on mute and everybody starts putting the, pausing their videos. And you don't know what's going on. Right? You could be sleeping. All the college students know. They'll be listening to lectures while sleeping. We know what this time has been like. And for us to have something like this is truly a blessing. So we ask that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He constantly gives us this resilience. He gives us this ability to lean on one another as an ummah. And that ultimately we are able to inculcate these two traits into our lives. Taqwa and then when needed, sabr. وآخر الدعوان أن الحمد لله رب العالمين جزاكم الله خيرا جزاكم الله خيرا مولانا شماس for giving us examples of of oppression from the stories of the أنبياء specifically from the story of يوسف عليه السلام as well as from other stories of the pious predecessors and even in our in our day Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, لَقَدْ كَانَ فِي قَصَصِهِمْ عِبْرَةٌ لِّئُولِ الْأَلْبَابِ In the same story of Yusuf alayhi salam, at the end of Surah Yusuf, he says, indeed in their stories, meaning the stories of the Anbiya alayhimu salatu wa salam, there is a lesson for those who, for the people of intelligence. So these stories are not just there for us to be entertained. They're not just bedtime stories that we tell to our children. These are actual historical events that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told to us for a purpose, for a reason. Because there is guidance in their stories. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, أُولَٰئِكَ الَّذِينَ هَدَ اللَّهُ فَبِهُدَاهُ مُقْتَدِهِ That though they, meaning the Anbiya, they are the ones Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has Guided, so follow their guidance. He's telling the Prophet ﷺ this. So now imagine how we should be when it comes to the stories of the Anbiya. So Jazakumullah Khairan to Mulana Shammas for that. Uh, inshallah, our next session uh, is going to be a light session. Um, it will be held by Hafiz Muhammad Hamid. Uh, he is a, Chica a Chicagoland native who completed his hivs at Masjid Usman in uh, Lombard, Illinois. Soon after his memorization of the Quran, he enrolled in Dar es Salaam Seminary Program where he is in his third year. Inshallah, he will be in his fourth year next year. Along with its integrated tadris.